hello, this is Guillermo del Toro, and you're listening to Out Now Podcast. Hello. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is unfortunately not here because of the very premise of this episode scared him away this week. But Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I, Abe and I normally discuss the movies we do. However, it is October, our month of horror when it comes to this podcast. We like to do all these special bonus horror-themed episodes where we talk about a variety of topics all month long. And this is the third entry in 2020's October Horror Specials, where we will be talking this week about Arachnophobia. For the 30th anniversary of the horror comedy from director Frank Marshall and producer Steven Spielberg. And yeah, it's gonna, this should be fun. I, I'm looking forward to talking about this. I have some special guests with me today. First up, from Cal State Fullerton, his students are calling him Dr. Death. It's Professor Mike Dillon. Uh, not, not bad, not bad. What's going on? <laughs> also joining us, writer for Right to Recite and programmer for the Newport Beach Film Festival. She's traveled all the way here from an Amazon, Amazon rainforest. It's the lovely Anna Bosch. Far trip. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Glad you made it. Glad to have you both here. How are you both doing to this afternoon? Uh, hanging in there, yo. Uh, <clears throat> I, I always like to say uh, this past year when I'm on here, thank you first and foremost to our healthcare workers. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing well. I just like had some delicious tostadas, and of course, we'll probably get into it. But we just watched this film outdoors by a lake so it's been a really nice day yeah Wait, did abe did abe really How duck out doing? because uh he's scared of spiders uh i'm doing well thank you for asking <laughs> yes we did watch the movie it's very fresh abe yes i <laughs> given the option since it's a bonus episode and we're recording at a special time it's either he can go ahead and go for it or be like well it's a bonus i don't need to be for it because he is not super keen on spiders so he's uh yeah he's he's softy i know like for a for a for an amblin entertainment film no less it'd be like abe saying no i can't do the goonies pirates scare me oh but I see, see, you're, he saying, you're saying this movie turned him into a recluse yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah and, and here we go here we go folks uh, am among, among recluse that's what he's turned into you should have encouraged him to watch it, though, because then it could have helped his fear of spiders like Ross Jennings has to face his fear. Uh, oh, believe me, I have tried. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like I was like, yep, definitely going to be three. No reason to question that. I tried to get him out of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe next time. <laughs> yeah, well, he's been, he's been watching other horror movies, so, you know, we'll, we'll be. Well, and, and but spiders, no. But the spiders, no, I'll let the, I'm, I'm putting the word out now, Mike, would you say? I'm just saying we'll ensnare him next time. Yeah, that's all. Okay, we'll get we'll get our web around him. Um, <laughs> but no, glad to have you two here. Not afraid to watch this movie and be a part of it. Again, the PG <laughs> Amblin horror film. PG-13, I'll be accurate. But still, <laughs> very light on content. Um, but yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk all about arachnophobia uh, for this week's horror special. Uh, yeah. I want to get us into it with a very simple question that has almost nothing to do with the movie. Do you guys like spiders, Anna? Do you like spiders? I mean, they're, I don't have like any fondness to them. I mean, I know they exist, but I am <laughs> one. I, <laughs> like, I know like you have the tarantula. Like, we've been together as long as your tarantula. Like, your tarantula, myself, and you, we've all been together for six years. So, like, 
I always humor Aaron and say like, why don't we just bring it out? And like, I'll touch it. So like, I'm not afraid of fire or any of it, <laughs> of spiders. Like, I will also be the one to like squish a spider. Julian Fellows so. would be so upset. Julian, Julian Sands, sorry. <laughs> Julian Sands would be so upset. <laughs> yes, uh, to be clear, I've had spiders for a good majority of my life, but when we oh, the, yeah. year, the year we got together, my had my the the tarantula I had at the time died, so I got a new tarantula. So yes, the current Professor yes. Dent um, has been a part of <laughs> in the background <laughs> of this podcast for six years um, at this point, which is uh, always fun. Mike, how about you? Are you a spider I've... fan? Sorry, what's your spider's name again? My spider's name is Professor Dent. Dent, like French for teeth. That's kind of fun, but no, just Professor. That's I mean, clever, but <laughs> he's named specifically after the James Bond villain who attempts to kill James Bond in Doctor No using a tarantula. Oh, that's a deep cut. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very aware. I I am I'm all right with spiders. I I will probably try to rescue one and shuffle it outside, mainly because I absolutely hate mosquitoes. Like, I, I won't be able to sleep in a room if I know that there's even one mosquito unaccounted for. So oh, I guess I know how like, that is. Yeah. Yeah. Enemy of my enemy is my friend. There you go. <laughs> Spiders. Are, Julian you, Sands points course. this out as well in the movie that they do take care of things like this. Uh, yes, of course. Yes. I'm a big fan of spiders. I have Angela. <laughs> I have multiple Spider-Man. You like Spider-Man. I mean, <laughs> you're, yeah, you're hardly impartial. Yeah. But Aaron would not want his, he does not want to hold the tarantula. Like I tell him like, bring it out or like, do like a home alone scene and put the tarantula on his face. He's like, nope. Well, it's, it's I was like, like a, why? <laughs> because we're like roommates, you know, you don't pick up your roommate and put it on somebody's face. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we, we got a good, I don't mess with him. He doesn't mess with me kind of vibe going on. <laughs> like we're happy to hang out. We chat and whatnot. <laughs> If there's a sock on the door, don't like don't intrude. What do you? <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm generally shut out of my room at night, so I have to go to the other room and like watch a movie or something. But um, <laughs> for the most part, yeah, no, we, you know, I wave and and go go to work, which is currently my desk, and um, <laughs> that's that's the day. You know, he does his thing. I, I, he works, that, I think I he works down at the, the quarry. That you have with the tarantula is you kind of let it play on your hand and then move the one hand forward and then forward and let it crawl a bit. No, if I was, right? some, like, no. If I was like some shirtless dude on Venice Boardwalk, sure, but like that's not what I'm doing. It's not his tarantula. <laughs> he likes to keep them in his terrarium, right? Yes. That's how you say it. You got it. And like Mike, like I even tell him like, hey, just let it out. He's like, no, because he'll probably like, escape somewhere. That's so that's like... that's my bigger concern. It's not about like not wanting to hold him. It's they're fast. And you know, like the second I get him out of there, it opens up a whole world of where in this house is he going to go first if he escapes from my hand really quickly. And the last thing you want to do is like, you know, they're fragile. So I don't want to like have to like box it in all of a sudden with my hands and hurt it, let alone it hurt me. So, you know, <laughs> he sounds neglected. Yeah, I, he... <laughs> I guarantee you he is not neglected. Look at, look at my Instagram. He's not in. He's not neglected. <laughs> This isn't about my caring of my spider. <laughs> we cared for him. Like, remember, like, we did the whole thing of, like, there was one night, Mike, there was, like, we came back from, like, a movie or something. And I was like, why? what's in there moving? And there was a whole bunch of ants. So, like, we moved him. I helped Aaron move him into, um, was it, like, a little shoebox or yeah, something so we could clean it out. in it so we can have him somewhere while we cleaned out this whole thing, let alone get the ants off him. And uh, get all the mm -hmm. ants out of the terrarium, clean it out, and everything. It was a whole process. 
That wasn't just like a massive buffet for the guy. They're ants. They're too small, so they're just. Oh like, no! Yeah. Yeah, but if you eat, if you eat enough of them, that's that's a meal. I mean, if he if he ate like we do, as far as you know, we put our big stupid teeth on things, chew it, and swallow it. Sure, but tarantulas don't eat that way. <laughs> they're more ingenious. And if you want me to get really disgusting on how that goes, I can. But I think we should talk no, about no, the movie no. instead. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it's like the scene in The Fly, right? He just like melts it, sucks it back up. It's a good thing you brought that up, because that's going to bring us into our topic of discussion here. We are talking about arachnophobia, which is for you and I, generally Abe, until he you know, wussed out this time around, we've been talking for some reason about creature features every on, on occasion. We started with the birds, and then we talked about the fly, and now we're on arachnophobia. So we certainly oh, we seem to it. have something going as far as these creature feature movies are concerned. The Jennings family has just moved to the small town of Kanaima. Oh, Ross, smell that air. Oh, God. In search of a simpler life. Wanna blow up a bullfrog? Okay. It's the perfect place. Goodbye crime, goodbye grime. Except for one pesty little problem. Come with me and look at the web. The web? I have a terrible fear of spiders. Come on, we live in the country now. It's time to work through this irrational, paralyzing terror. It's not irrational. (laughs) Hollywood Pictures and Amblin Entertainment present Jeff Daniels. We're in the living room. We need you to kill a spider. And John Goodman. Don't pretend talk. Infestation management. Oh, that guy's just a spider. Would anybody object if I tore this floor out? I would. False alarm, then leave on. There's no spider here. Every so often, in a little town somewhere, there is a health scare. I'm very happy to have my lovely girlfriend here with me because, hey, I know you're not the biggest horror fan, but I do think this movie works as a kind of gateway horror film as far as movies that are appropriate for a broader audience have enough has enough humor going on within it and just frankly it isn't like terribly scary it's more of like a squirmy type thing is that fair Anna? yes i would definitely agree with that because <laughs> you know i can't do the other ones <laughs> yeah so i I, I am so it's kind of like it's on it's like the line of like jaws and psycho like those are manageable for me Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Well, yeah. <laughs> you, you two, you two want to be alone right now? <laughs> <laughs> We're just talking shop here, Mike. I, I mean, I could duck out if you need to. <laughs> Go find Abe. But no, I, I just want to get a get a good context of what's all happening here, so we can talk about more creature features. I can bring on on for this podcast because I, I, I like to involve her when I can, especially you know for something like this where it's somewhat unique as far as a horror experience for a genre that she's not all that keen on. So. With all that said, let's talk about Arachnophobia. This is a this is directed by Frank Marshall. It's his first directed feel, to film. He's already been a producer for many years at this point. He and his wife Kathleen Kennedy they produced many things with Steve, Steven Spielberg among others. Now he's taken on the reins for himself to make this horror horror comedy. A thrillomedy. I know it was originally intended to be a serious movie at one point. Uh, that was like how they were trying to figure it's like let's make a creature feature make it you know serious and then it kind of evolved once um once i believe once marshall and spielberg got involved in the film and from there the idea similar to we talked about the birds before mike the films what marshall wanted to do is make a film that's like the birds he wanted to make a film that filled like a roller coaster as far as hey or you know there's a main plot here involving some characters with some actors that are fairly respectable what have you we can make a you know something fun out of that that happens to involve thrilling elements in this case instead of birds you have spiders um with all that 
let's get some like some general thoughts on the film. Anna, we've watched the film today. You've seen it before. What did you think mm-hmm. of Arach- what do you what do you think of arachnophobia? Okay, so I'm really glad we did watch rewatch it again. I'm trying to remember. Did we watch it last year with your fr- with like your friend Scooter? I think we watched it two years ago at this point. Two years? Okay, so I don't know how it came to be, but we did watch it, and I remember we watched it. It was at night, and mm-hmm. so at that point, it was kind of like squirmy type of feeling. Like it's not too scary, but it was like okay. And then yeah, like you mentioned today, and I, even myself. We did rewatch it, and it's <laughs> daylight out, so it's not, like, in your dark room with the lights off and everything. And it does play differently. This time around, I was just kind of like, okay, just watching this film that's not... It's not ever getting to a point of being disturbing or anything. It just has this energy of, like, here's, this, some, here's something that's threatening, but then at the same time, you get, like, some comedic humor from, like, the cast, which kind of, like, creates a nice balance. Mm-hmm. And you enjoyed it. Yes. Great. Mike, where are you with arachnophobia? You brought this to my attention as far as it being its 30th anniversary. I assume you're a fan of this film. Yeah, this was a VHS staple for me, although I probably haven't. I just rewatched it yesterday, and it's been easily 20 years, maybe closer to 25 since I've seen it. But I would have seen it upon release, and I remember this being one of those movies that I rented a bunch of times and then maybe eventually owning it, <clears throat> and it became kind of a... I think for a lot of people, a go-to movie that you pop in during sleepovers to scare your friends. Mm-hmm. It, it uh, because it's you know it's it's accessible, it's family-friendly in that way. It's scary but not gory. So I second everything Anna said. I, I what did strike me upon this rewatch though is how relevant this all feels to today, like as a metaphor for our times, because it's essentially about a virus spreading across a community, right? It, and also in this very conservative and xenophobic framework, because it's about this foreign contaminant from a dark country, quote unquote, dark country that comes over uninvited and then just breeds and breeds. And I, I got kind of itchy watching the house party that they throw because we're the, the film implies that that's like essentially a super spreader event. Right. The whole thing felt mm-hmm. the whole thing. Yeah. Felt very legible through the lens of our contemporary politics, which is really fascinating to me upon watching it this time around. It just the whole thing feel, felt very indicative of how certain themes just have this longevity in our culture. Right. And doesn't like at some point is it towards like, is it the scientist? And he says something like, oh, this will spread not just in this town, but it'll continue throughout the yeah, this state. town is dead, and then, then the, the next, next town, town and yeah. the next town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like how you have to quarantine. Like he mentioned something of that mm-hmm. nature too. So it's an interesting, like you know, combination of what this is the '90s and then how it can play into today. Yeah, I mean, it's we're mentioning this, and like a, a film like Outbreak came out in like '94, a few years later, '95, and 95. yeah, and it, it's neat to see like neat. I mean, it's interesting to see films of that kind at that point when there you know frankly wasn't something that's actually threatening just kind of the possibility of things that could happen from the outside coming in or that could be spread around and the kind of the plausibility of that versus now where it actually does take on an extra an an extra bit of a thrill uh, as far as watching a horror movie goes and seeing you know this would never happen but now it's like well actually there there there's a scenario where at least something similar without the you know blockbuster aspects of it uh, could take place um yeah i like i do like this film i i i think it's a a very fine horror comedy i think it does well it you know 
having this kind of creepy thrill element to it because you have you know creepy spiders crawling around and it's well made enough where they're using real spiders and they're doing things with it too because there's a lack of gore there's a lack of like violence it's just a matter of when's the spider going to pop out and bite you like there's something inherently you know spooky about that thing i mean there's you have a variety of character actors here so besides jeff daniels anyone could go at any time that kind of element so that adds to the kind of tension Mm -hmm. of it and additionally it's very funny i like we'll get to the cast more but obviously john goodman's like just a hero in this movie was having a ball and jeff daniels is good like the whole like there's a lot of like humor that comes from it but the other thing i mean if you want to talk about like relevancy the last time i watched this i noticed it more because i yeah i similarly i've seen this many times when i was younger i think it was just on like you know tv a lot it's you know you just stop and watch it because it's like it's a fun movie but the thing i've noticed when anna when you and i watched a couple years ago was the kind of big city doctor theme that's running throughout this as far as like this big city doctor comes in and starts saying his things and the 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 small town folk or the country folk are just not having it like the weird like uh uh, challenge that exists between the two even though the Mm -hmm. philosophies aren't like and it's not like the whole town's against him. It's just more of like the older doctor doesn't like that this guy's from the city or the, the so sheriff. So they all follow. Yeah. Right. Or, or the sheriff is upset that there's someone new in town. It's like, like that stuff. At the same time, if if it's trying to say something along the lines of like big city equals this where country equals that, mm-hmm. you still have like, on you know, this third party, which is the scientist played by Julian Sands, who ultimately dies in the film. And it's like, what's that trying to say? Like, he's the guy that's presumably the smartest of them all but he gets punished. <laughs> like I, 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 it's just right. It's, that is interesting. His death is interesting. Right. Cause the even fact, just mm-hmm. watch him. Like I didn't want to ask you when we finished watching, cause I know we're going to get on to talk about it, but it is odd. Like all the other ones make sense. Right. Like <clears throat> the young football player has to go. The, the mortuary, the guy that does work for the mortuary, like those all like lead up and make sense of like, who's going to get eliminated from this process. Right. Because you come to the scientist in the beginning, like you don't see him as one of like, he wants to kill them. Cause his photographers, the ones like just squish it. He ends up squishing it. He's more of like, he wants to maintain them to study them and figure out where they came from. So it's very interesting. Like what was that process? And like, and maybe Mike has more to say about that. Like how come the scientist gets eliminated towards the end like he's gone to the nest to figure out like how to eliminate this problem but yet he gets eliminated i i yeah i think julian sands gets completely shortchanged yeah in the movie i mean his death is pretty unceremonious you know i think uh, maybe the problem is that by the time he re-enters the film the the spiders have really become the stars of the film mm-hmm you know, and there, there's really, I mean, the movie's pretty lean and that there isn't much room for haggling between characters, especially once the sort of older antagonistic doctor character is gone. Yeah. It's, it really right. just becomes a roller coaster ride about locating and surviving the spiders. And for instance, you can easily imagine a version of this that involves the Julian Sands character, you know, the European scientist who ends up like betraying everybody because what he really wants is to catch a spider for future study. Yeah. He's like Paul uh-huh. Weiser and aliens. Yeah, exactly. Right. Or but, Ian Holman alien. Or, or even, even Ash. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, he's just dispatched. Um, it, it feels like there must've been an earlier draft or some concept conceptualization of him having a showdown with the sure. spider, but yeah. yeah, it's just not, it's not in there. Yeah. I like in, right, in the, 
in the serious horror movie version of this, I can see him being yes, more of a more of an additional villain. Yeah, like a, a human villain to like put a face on as in, in addition to the creature aspect of it. Like you get in many creature features, you generally have, like you mentioned, this kind of a doctor, evil doctor, evil scientist, some, something else that's like prodding mm-hmm. this along as opposed to one to isolate it. Like he could be a guy that's like, I want the town to get extinct because then I'll quarantine the town and I can do all this research, anything like that or whatever. But instead, he's just kind of like a completely innocent guy who loves spiders, but also is very aware of what they're capable of and wants to, in, in, you know, examine this but also like you know try to help which is what he's trying to do ultimately and it just doesn't go in his favor right and i think that that is true right that what mike is saying because the development because if you bring him back in it's like what else does he serve as a like a purpose in the film because we don't see him being like you're saying too aaron like villainous right whereas the story does steer more to jeff daniel's character ross jennings of like the whole thing of the film title just being titled arachophobia and he having a fear of the spiders, it becomes a big showdown between him and the spiders. Mm-hmm. So it's like everyone else that not in the case of didn't matter, just get eliminated. It becomes between him and the spiders. Yeah. He's the only, but it's just, it is, that's an interesting thing. Exactly. Well, so I guess it's, it's, it's doing a, a game of tug, uh, like a, like a, a tug of war as far as, it being a kind of a horror movie as well as being an Amblin entertainment movie, right? Cause you have, you have Jeff Daniels and for the most part, you're probably expecting the family's not going to die. They're probably not going to lose one of the kids. The wife's probably not going <laughs> to die. So like they're all safe. So that leans into mm-hmm. like, still it is a horror movie. You need to have victims. Right. And we've already, and so right. as far as name members of the cast, the audiences would riot if John Goodman was killed because he's, just a mm-hmm. a giant bowl of entertainment so yeah you got who's the essentially i think he's second build who's like the, the other big star of this movie it'd be the it'd be julian sands who enters back in the movie it's it's unfortunate but at the same time that's that's a horror movie right you're always, you're always gonna get people you, you don't want i mean everybody that dies in this movie no one's bad you don't want any of them to die so it just serves as more of a surprise element it's like oh you thought the guy that knew everything about spiders was going to make it well never mind here he goes and i mean so it, it plays hubris, on that a bit yeah. it, it, it plays yeah <laughs> it's hubris <laughs> so play, then and it plays on that so then in this genre then it's it's basically like having victims to move the story along then and to provide the kind of you know you you don't want people to die but at the same time you've purposely chosen to watch a horror movie where people are presumably going to be off in some way so yes you're you're kind of like yeah you got it like (laughs) i don't know if anyone's cheering when like the sweet old lady next door dies but at the same time it's like well they delivered on this i guess this is what i'm in for no no this i mean this movie it's such a studio film right yeah and what you're talking about this sort of law of economy of of characters in a horror movie like you have to balance like the ones who need to die to prove the situation is serious, but which ones do you keep around? And so there's no surprise that Julian Sands dies. What's a little bit surprising is that he dies without any kind of uh, <clears throat> kind of a scene or a showdown that would seem to be more befitting of the role that his character plays in the context of the film. Like he um, should have like rolled up his sleeves and tried to punch the spider first, or 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 maybe the revelation of his death could have been a bigger. Well, John Goodman like finds him and he's like, "Oh my God, it's the yeah." Well, what, and, what like what did the, the spider he... carry him up there? Or well, what? no, he climbed up the ladder and it jumped at. It. I, well, I, oh, okay. That that said, yes, he does like get precariously positioned like upside down and in web, so they certainly did some work. 
since the in the <laughs> what like f- 15 minutes since he died <laughs> yeah what, what, what i love about the head spider is that it's so conniving yes because it, it straight up implies in the beginning that it sees manly the photographer stomping on a spider and it decides like i'm gonna get that guy that's what i was saying when we were watching yes! oh my gosh so like Right? Like, the story, how it gets written, it's just like, okay, you got these couple of guys, a photographer scientist out on the Amazon wanting to, like, bring back this species to do some studies on. But it's like, the spider is, like, very intelligent, and it has, like, this attack mentality of, like, you're going to be my next one on my list. And it's like, how how do you create that? And it goes to do, too, with, like, Frank Marshall as the, is, was he the cinematographer or no? He's the director. He's a director. Yeah. But whoever the cinematographer is, it's, it's just like uh, Michael Salomon. Okay, because like each He's time the Brothers, among his other things. Oh, okay. But like each time, like we see that spider, it just like adds to it. If like this serious tone, like it's like really out to get you. Which is, I mean, it's a spider, so it's it's serious as far as the spider seems serious, but that means it's campy as far as there's a you know when you have a film where all of the other spiders are real and this one is clearly a, you know, animatronic spider, which was apparently nicknamed Big Bob, uh, named after Robert Zemeckis, of all things. Um, oh. It's like, yeah, there's... That adds to the fun, ultimately. But the, <laughs> like, but like, the it's spider, silly, not but it's only... Mm-hmm. Right, but, like, not only does the spider, like, from that Amazon, like, scene happen, like, he even goes... Or, like, it goes into the coffin, you know? It makes a journey to America to do its, you know... It's plan of like eliminating people that it wants to to get revenge or what have you. Yeah, it's like the shark from Jaws four. Like I will follow you to the Bahamas somehow. You know, yes, you're, you're yeah. not safe from yeah. me. Like this is super calculating. Yes, and like Jaws is such a good comparison because like thinking about him, like hey, you have like people who are fearful of like the water and like what's in the water, like the shark, right? In summertime, and here's something that's on land that can be just as scary as like Aaron was bringing up of like how the birds was kind of like. like somehow used to like get this like story out there it's just interesting to have like that's that's what you do and you know because you have the song like it's a busy spider which is with the girls you know when they have a little sleepover they're singing to use as like a scared tactic but it's very played down though like you're not too scared perhaps as a child maybe someone watching like you know six, six six or seven years old could be scared from that I, I guarantee this movie is scary to people that don't like spiders. I mean, like, that's that's the idea. Right. I mean, it is a, it you know, we might be more comfortable with spiders than others, but there are plenty of people that are not necessarily Jeff Daniels, I freeze in my crib scared, but certainly, you know, aren't comfortable <laughs> around them, or at least squirm enough when spiders randomly jump out and bite people on the arm or whatever. Like, that's, there's there's inherent, like, little fears in that that is the movie's trying to capitalize on. Th- that's uh, that's right. where I feel like it's hard to say whether I think this movie holds up. It probably does. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the the lack of diversity is something we should flag. Like if they were remaking this now, we'd want to see a broader range of people of color, not just in the Venezuela sequence. But <clears throat> in terms of whether it holds up as a scare movie, like so much of the relationship I've had with this film is showing it to people and watching them react to it. Mm-hmm. And so or... when you when you watch it, when you watch a scare movie like that, for those reasons, you tend to memorize all the specific scares. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was delighted to see upon rewatching it that I still remembered pretty much every one of them, but it makes it that I feel like the real test of whether or not the film, how well it's dated is whether it holds up uh, uh, when you watch it to new viewers, right? I'd really be curious to see Mm -hmm. 
someone who's totally uninitiated in this film and if they would jump at all the right points. I don't know where you're kind of hard to gauge. Right. No, I'm trying to think. Okay, so there's a scene like because the family originally is from San Francisco, right? Yes. And like, isn't it towards like when they're getting out the car and like Jeff Daniels is talking to his wife of like, you know, or is she one or the other? They're like, just explain it. Like, was this a good choice? Was this a good idea? Because it came from like no more, no more this, no more that and like no more culture. So I think it's in there. But I understand what Mike is saying, too. Whereas, like, if it was remade today, he could have it to where it's, you know, Orange County could be an example because it's it has been changing. But I think they do mention that in the film. And, like, it's, like, something because even when they go back, you never see anything else, right? You don't have any exterior of, like, the outside world around them when they go to San Francisco to see the culture. You just yeah. automatically take – you just automatically take their word that they left a big city mm-hmm. with culture – to go to like a very small rural like town and who knows where, you know, America, like out on the boonies somewhere. What do you know during that time period where it'd be predominantly white? It, it's hard to like, Mike, like I hear what you're saying. It's hard. It's, it's hard to find this. Cause like, that seems real to me. Like a town like that wouldn't have that much diversity in it, but I, I know no, what you're well, saying. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. I think it, it, but it, I, let me, here, let me, let me say this. The, the, um, what I think makes this unique in that regard is, in a different movie, you would have a whole setup with the family in San Francisco, right? You'd see something involving them to some degree. Instead, this movie's it has a different side of take as far as the first mm-hmm. 20 minutes have nothing to do with the rest of the, the characters that were mainly involved in, right? It's all in Venezuela with another character who dies right away. I mean, you have Julian Sands there who comes back later on in the movie, but you get a good, you like the spider is the main character of the movie for a good portion of it. Right. And even like the translator that was there helping them, like you never like he's not part of their team when they come back or anything. It's just kind of like a done deal of like they're here in the Amazon. They got what they wanted. The guy died. So they just end up leaving. But it would be interesting to see it that way, too, if they had flipped it. But like I'm guessing because of that, that's the time frame, right? It's the time frame where also you get a you get a point of view of how the spider thing came to be as opposed to like a big exposition dump later in the movie, which we actually do get as far as right. explaining what happened. But it's even you talking about like, you know, big town guy with a small town guy. Well, it's interesting too. Cause like, I'm just trying to remember, like, I think it was like, was it 2018 or something? There was a write up of like how they wanted to do a remake or do you both know anything about them wanting to re- do a remake? As of now, James Wan uh, of the conjuring him among other things saw and everything aquaman um he's been attached to an, a remake with amblin but there's no there's been no like recent news in regards to that it's just more of they have the rights and we'll see what happens right and so that's where for mike like maybe that's where like that story will come from like i think no sure for this whatever this time period what like it was in the 90s early 90s where we can definitely reflect to look at films of, like this is how it was made and then if they were remade then that's how they end up getting changed or or having a different perspective, I guess you can say. Mike, what do you want yeah. to say? Well, no, it's just also, it's just kind of an interesting window into the kind of yeah. <clears throat> conven- conventions that were, uh, you know, sort of characteristic of studio films at the time. Because I mentioned early on that mm-hmm. I think the film builds upon themes that strike me today as fairly conservative in that it's about how a sort of pristine American community is threatened by this exotic foreign menace but but what's important to note is that the film's specific envisioning of that everywhere USA community is suburban and white. You no, know, very. I mean, 
this is basically Amblin, USA, right? It's the exact same neighborhood as like an E.T. or a Back to the Future. Uh, I um, mean, e th those ones are in the literal suburbs. This is the country. There's, there's a difference. Okay, well, okay. E but E.T. E is of... like that's part of the commentary of E.T. And same with Poltergeist. Those movies take place like just okay, outside sure, sure, the sure. city. Okay. Um, I don't want but, you to disparage these movies, Mike. I know. No, I'm not, I'm not being disparaging. I think <laughs> that there, there is a sort of homogeneity of representation in a number of films uh, of this uh, of this era. And by that token, I think seeing Jeff Daniels is really interesting because he's become an actor since then who really orients that everyman quality into sure. nowadays more explicitly progressive democratic politics. Right. And so that interplay um, kind of was fascinating to me upon looking at it. Oh, as far as uh, saying where he is now as a person, uh, not that yeah, he's yeah. certainly like, <laughs> but I mean, it, yeah, I know I get what you're saying. Yes, there's a it's interesting to look back in time and see where what kind of roles he was taking and kind of where he's positioned himself as a known celebrity these days. Right. In terms of kind of assessing how this film plays into the kind of persona that we associate with Jeff Daniels. Now, I just found that kind of an interesting thing running through my mind as I was watching it. I will say he cares about his wine cellar a bit too much, <laughs> especially because he has like <laughs> no real, no it doesn't seem like he has any real knowledge beyond, well, I paid a lot. Like, that seems like that's it. That seems like it. He says, like, oh, you don't seem at all concerned about the death of my dream. It's like, well, never mind that the floor is caving in in your house. Mm -hmm. um, also, uh, did you notice at the end when they're back in San Francisco, they're they're drinking the expensive bottle yeah. when they move back? Right. He, he pours himself a glass, and then even he takes a sip before he pours her glass. <laughs> I, I like, didn't. I didn't notice. Like, that. Yeah, <laughs> that's. that's he's a piece of shit, right? Although, I mean, I think they've been drinking it at that point, though. So I don't think they just opened the bottle. No, no, go back and <laughs> watch. No, they they literally open the bottle. He pours himself a glass, sips it, and then thinks to pour her glass. Okay. Go back and watch it. <laughs> he's had a lot well, of stress. He's just moved twice. He had to deal with multiple deaths of patients. <laughs> also, talking about the deaths too, not. To forget about even the bird can't stand a chance or like the crickets like oh yeah all... the spider's a walking death zone like don't get in the orbit of the spider like the bird thinks like haha i got something to eat or you know what have you and then next thing you know it it just falls in flight and then they even mention like they don't hear the crickets anymore and it's just like this spider is like if you get in its way you're gonna get taken out <laughs> no matter what you are who you are i want to talk more about the scares again because i want to get back to a point that you were making mike as far as how it plays but just to j just to end the uh the kind of the remake aspect of this i mean the i think the obvious thing you would do nowadays if you were to make uh arachnophobia again which i can't imagine not happening because it's a very easy premise to get into and i think it's I mean, there's a lot of fun you can have with that even though the size spiders will probably i ideally this is a different conversation but i ideally like spiders to be still be real and not cg spiders but we'll see what happens regardless the thing that you would do obviously is you would make the family you know people of color you, you would make them black or hispanic or asian or something and have them move into a very all-white town which would play on things in another way uh, i think that'd be the, the, the kind of the, the most obvious route to go if you're trying to kind of change the dynamic of arachnophobia while still making arachnophobia and that's more that's a priority over the exact nature of the spiders, right? Like it doesn't matter that they're mm -hmm. from Venezuela. It could be from a scientific laboratory down the road 
where they're experimenting on spiders and they they get loose, right? Yeah. Well, you gotta make that. You gotta make that <laughs> yeah. franchise. So it'd be yeah, like wh- it'd be like the doctor works at the lab and there's a spider that's in their moving car with them or something and they get there and they brought death with them. Like I get it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it, it 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 leaves the lab by stowing away in his coat pocket or like whatever. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really matter. Um, although he you're right a superhero though, because... because he gets bit by the spider, <clears throat> like all this stuff. Um. Shinning, shinning. We don't want to get sued. Um, the yeah, like I know we do talk about this a lot, like with Fly and uh, with Ghostbusters, which is that there's something so charming and effective about practical effects in the sort of pre-Jurassic Park era, you know? Because you're right, now this would all be CGI spiders, and that that's not to take anything away from CGI, right? VFX artists work incredibly hard. They're not in a union, and they're often overworked, and so. You know, I don't want to suggest that CGI makes everything easy, but there's something about practical effects that brings a particular kind of joy, doesn't it? I think it encourages, it actually actively encourages a, a more curiosity about how movies get made because is it's that, more tangible. It's not even that it's, I mean, there are effects, sure, because there is like actual made spiders, but they're literally actually spiders that they use. Like they brought in, I, I wrote this down, 300 Avondale spiders from New Zealand that are essentially harmless, but look threatening. Like they brought real spiders in to make this movie, which is like, yeah, do that more. <laughs> That's something I, it, since, it's, since it's an actual like real thing, not the nature of the spider, but that, you know, it's, it's not an alien threat. It's not the thing where you can't just like, yeah, bring in the thing. We'll do that. They brought in real spiders because you had spiders. So let's use spiders. And like, that's, yes, there is a way to go to make that work in CG. CG is very good these days. Uh, and spiders aren't that complicated by comparison. So it's like, that's a route to go. But yeah, you can certainly, that's the, you know, suffice it to say, the grit that you feel from a movie like this, right? That you have real spiders. Like, Anna, did you like that you got to see real spiders crawling around doing all this stuff? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it is it is interesting, right? Because like, you do see the one earlier on that they, is the main character where it's like, you know, it's not a real spider. Uh-huh. But all that work put into it, like, as Mike is saying, like, it's, it's a lot of hard work and dedication going through. And I'm sure like even the same thing with like the corpse, the deaths, you know, the facial expressions on each individual isn't really realistic, I guess. And I don't know if it's more like for comedy's sake, because y'all watch more like horror movies than I do. So I'm sure like an expression on someone's face in a more serious tone, like darker ones are like is different than this. Yeah, you don't want to make it too morbid. Like the the worst one you get is the do- is Manly, the photographer, because you see his body all drained um, when they when they take out take him out of the coffin or whatever. But for the most part, like you mentioned Jaws, which is a good call because you don't really see that main spider for a lot of the movie. You you get like silhouettes and shadows and the legs mm-hmm. popping out of doors, but you actually don't see the big spider until the end. Really, that's the really the only time you see the the main spider. You see all the little spiders everywhere. But it, it Which is kind of like in relation to Jaws, because you yeah, don't get saying. that yeah. big fight towards the end. Yeah, Jaws doesn't really come into play until the second half of the movie when you start seeing the shark. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, as far as people, like how they're posing the people, like the only the only ones where I think you can see that they're models is the, mortu- the mortician and his wife. The, the You see them sitting on the on the chair right. after they've been killed. That's and like, true. They're, because you have to have spiders crawling out of their nose and stuff, they had to make like clearly prosthetic people to be sitting there instead of the actual actors so, mm-hmm. but at the same time 
you get spiders crawling out of people's noses and stuff. That's good. That's good stuff, well, right? That's fun. Well, that, but that, but that's a telling observation because the least convincing special effects aren't even <laughs> with the spiders, right? The spiders are really effective, uh, I yeah. think, mm-hmm. most of the way through. And I think, you know, the point I was making earlier is that I think that really does get people curious about how how did they accomplish the things clearly happening before your eyes? Because we're in a period right now where we tend to be mistrustful of images generally, yeah. Because we're we're so literate as to how much images can be subject to manipulation and so knowing that they're doing everything in camera i think is very charming and it inspires a deeper fascination i think about how they've done it again not taking anything away from cgi but i think like what's really effective throughout the film is how often we see actors or at least their doubles and the spiders in the same shot Mm -hmm. because the timing of the movements are really great and you know you know, they're timing everything really carefully with the framing and panning and focus pulling. I mean, I, I can only imagine how difficult some of this must have been because I, I just I don't think you can train spiders to be as precise as you can with most other animals. So I just imagine how many takes it must have taken to get some of these to line up as perfectly as they do. And there's so many gags mm-hmm. involving people moving just out of frame as the spider is approaching or like the, the cat gets picked up just in time. Mm-hmm. Things like that, which are, are really, really nicely done. And I think that's that's where most of the charm of this movie is. It's in it's in watching them execute these these precision moves all the way through. It really is. It's a well-made movie. That's a big part of why I think this I mean, that's, that's part of why I like any movie that it's well made. But I mean, that is a big part of the success of a movie like this, where it could easily just be a camp fest like other spider based or insect based or whatever big or gi- giant or small animal creature features are. You could easily make that just something that's like, well, it's not about the production values. It's just about the novelty of it. I do think that Frank Marshall is trying to capture both the 50s time period when you get a lot of movies like this, like Them or Tarantula or what have you, even though they're those are large versions of they're they're like monster versions of insects versus these are just realistic spiders. Uh, I do think he's trying to capture that while making it feel modern, right? He's, he's using the latest and greatest in effects um, as far as that goes. Like he's still being practical, but I mean, at that time, that's your option, but he's still doing it to the best way he can. And no, I, I think it all it, it does all come together well. If anything, I'd be curious, like you mentioned, the kind of people being in the know these days. I'd be curious if people that are, you know, younger than us that watch a movie like this automatically assume that their only way they could have achieved this was by using CG and that all the spiders are just really good CG. Because I, I, I think we, I think we run into that at some point. The kind of, like you mentioned, this kind of distrust, this kind of cynical look at like how films are made. It's like, ah, they just did that computer. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think like the camera work again is like it's very well done in this entire film. And even including, like, the music, it really heightens where it needs to be, you yeah, know? You, got, you have um, well, you have cinematographer Michael Solomon, who's I mentioned was, did Brand of Brothers. He's in the kind of Amblin school. Uh, Michael Kahn, he's Spielberg's editor for decades at this point. He did the, the editing. Trevor Jones, I believe he's from, like, the Hans Zimmer school of uh, composers, but uh, he's certainly had a long career. Um, and... No, this is a, I mean, I've mentioned this many times. It's, you know, it's working as a campy monster movie, but it has an A budget, right? Even then, mm-hmm. it's not that, it's not that expensive. It's a $22 million movie. But for the kind of scale that it has, it's doing, it's pulling out the stops as far as being the ultimate spider movie. Like, there haven't been many giant spider, not even giant, there haven't been many spider movies since then. There's been, what, Eight-Legged Freaks? And... <laughs> That, and that's it, right? I mean, there's other movies with big spiders in them. Return of the King obviously comes to mind. But, I mean, there's not like, 
have like am i missing something like do you are there any other spider movies of note that have come out since arachnophobia uh, uh you're right i can only think of scenes like there's a scene in the mist with yep. uh, killer spiders and uh-huh or what like alien spiders whatever they are <laughs> but, uh... yeah <laughs> uh no like a like a i only think of the 50s yeah incredible right? shrinking man and earth versus the spider things that all cold war atomic age stuff the giant spider invasion um that's like 70s i think with the skipper is uh, in that movie uh uh hale alan hale not alan hale it's another name there's a godzilla uh there's a godzilla so, movie where he uh, anna, anna and i spider. watched son of godzilla where there are multiple uh there's come 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 uh he's the main villain in that film <laughs> and, uh, yes it's Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes, babe. We watched Son of Godzilla <laughs> featuring the giant spider fight. Um, That's the one I like, right? That is, you 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 thought Son of Godzilla was fine. You liked um oh it's uh, like... the the one after the other one with the, with with um with the Son of Godzilla um uh, uh, all monsters attack. That's what I was trying to say. Okay. It's like it's not destroy okay. all monsters. That's before it. All, all monsters attack, which uh, has that the one that has the little kid who's being bullied yes. and he, imag- yes. he imagines yes. he lives on Monster Island with. Yes, that's pretty good. <laughs> with, 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 with the son of with Godzilla's son, <laughs> they're hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I just want to get back to this real quick. So we've talked about... No, like, we will talk bit... more about Son of Godzilla and Attack of Monsters Attack. No, like how this film has like a certain humorous um, edge, right? Oh, yeah. And you're, you didn't want to mention too early on, but like John Goodman, I think <laughs> it's like one of those actors where it's just like it's just so funny with his gear and everything as the local exterminator just coming in like i'm gonna save the day and like this big back spider has nothing on him you know right and that that stupid saxophone music that yeah, he, has his yes. own hero theme. Yes. he has his own hero theme in this movie that's what kept getting me <laughs> he walks in and, and it's like it's a saxophone and harmonica mike don't forget the harmonica where it's just like oh, burner and then like it just has this going on and it's like i i love that they're sitting in like the studio making the theme for this movie. He's like oh john goodman's on and we just bust out the sax and the harmonica and get that going and it goes with like the way he walks too so it's just it adds to that comedic element beat there's a lot for of his mickey, character there's a lot of mickey mousing in the soundtrack as far as the music plays louder when certain things happen that kind of thing and it's the same the same with like Jeff Daniels burnt trying to burn the spider at the end where every time he sees him he try you know tries to light him on fire and the music raises really and it high. Was, it does. <laughs> and it's just like when I'm watching this, I'm like, John Goodman, isn't it um is it Cloverfield where he has like ten, that ten basement? Ten Cloverfield lane. And he has like that that canister of like something that's pretty deadly, like the liquid. I it just it's makes dip me think like from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's what he that's what he has down there. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's a barrel of dip. <laughs> yeah, it's a barrel of dip. <laughs> A barrel dip. That but that like, guy that was with him was a tune, actually in disguise. That's why he died in the barrel. Because mind you, like I haven't seen arachnophobia before, so like seeing Cloverfield before this, it made me think back of that movie of just like his character in that film, where just like he's he has this tar pit or like this pit of something. But I'm just like, okay, he's in this movie as an exterminator. He probably has something that's pretty deadly in there to kill the spiders. Mm-hmm. But then we do see like he, they're not like. The spiders are basically like you can't kill them but then eventually he does have like that like some type of serum or whatever that they end up blasting off towards he the like end. A, he gets like a stronger version of the stuff that wasn't working right the i want uh, i said I, I said i wanted to get back to the horror but yeah let's talk more about goodman and the comedy in this movie well well 
Just out of curiosity, because I know Goodman had a pretty thriving film career by this point, right? Especially as a comic actor. He's com- He's coming but, up. He's in Roseanne at this point, and he's already done like a exactly. Couple, he's so, done a couple so, Coen Brothers movies. So I was thinking like Raising Arizona and yeah. uh, 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 King Ralph. I yeah. guess is maybe a little bit later, but just out of curiosity, because I'm not that familiar with the show, but I feel like the most recognizable reference to John Goodman's character would be Roxanne or Roseanne, Roseanne. right? Yeah. Well, cause he because he plays like a blue collar guy, right? Yeah, he's like a working mm-hmm. class, good old boy, right? That's that seems to be the the persona mm-hmm. that they hired him based on, right? For sure, he's at yes, at that point. He, let me make sure, just so I'm not like saying that. Yeah, Roseanne started in the '80s. That's what I thought. Okay, yeah. So yeah, he has that. That's the kind of. It's a mix of that and that he's been this kind of character because he's been around for a while. Like I know, I know, like Revenge of the Nerds isn't his first thing, but he's like the coach in that movie, and he's done. The other thing is, like, he has, like, a John C. Riley type thing where he's done comedy and drama. Because he has, yeah, like, Raising Arizona, mm-hmm. which is wild or whatnot. Uh, but then he also, he's, like, in Sea of Love, like, the year before of Al Pacino. Like, he's, uh, so he's, like, doing, and uh, what is it? He's, he's, he's a Spielberg guy. That's the other thing. Spielberg recommended him for this movie because he was in Always. He's in Always. He's right? in Always. And he said, you got to have, you have, you got to have John Goodman in this movie. That's what he told Frank Marshall. Uh, which, I, I mean, not a, if, Spiel, if Spielberg's going to tell you something, tell if he's telling you, cast John Goodman in your movie doesn't seem like a bad thing <laughs> like to happen um so I mean I, yeah I, there's I an the, associate there's an association that, like what you're saying there's an association there with comedy and with kind of a relatable blue collar figure sure but I mean he's certainly proven himself as far as being a kind of a great cleanup batter can you know play all roles do whatever he needs to I think the the balance between the horror elements and the comedy is generally pretty good mm-hmm. in terms of sort of giving you a scare scene and then diffusing it, giving you, so that you're not, you know, tense the entire time. It does give you a lot of breathing room. That being said, I, I didn't find the jokes always worked. The balancing act worked fine for me, but the actual, the nature of the humorous banter or the joke being the, the punchline, some of them felt, fell flat for me, but what like, I don't know. What, I don't know what you make of the kill like, one, like therapy. I think that's really weak. What are, what are some examples? No, what, what, what did you think of the... Did you think the movie was funny? Like, as far as making, you know, kind of having its joke bits? I think it, the joke bits are fine. I think it's more of an agreement of, like, how you wanting to, like, talk about the John Goodman aspect. I think that's where there's com- more of, like, a comedy. Like, you kind of chuckle a little bit. But I don't really find myself, like, you know, really having laughs while watching the film. Yeah, I mean, it's not a out-and-out comedy as far as, like, mm-hmm. the, the joke lines aren't meant to make you, like, roll over with laughter, but at the same time... It's more... It feels like those ha-ha-ha-ha, like, type of laughs, you know? It's, from, yeah, it's... <laughs> it's, it's not it's just, that it's, laugh soundtrack, like, really. Because the movie, I think it's too... It's it's more character-based, right? I mean, you have the campy spider element, the spider, killer spider element, and the humor is not necessarily coming all the way through dialogue all the time. It's just, it's coming more out of just like character interactions and things where John Goodman's obviously a source of humor. That's the whole role of him. But compared to like Jeff Daniels, yeah, his, his stuff is dry. And yes, I wouldn't say like, yeah, the therapy, which is supposed to be, I guess, like a a running joke, or at least one that has, you know, a setup and a punchline. Sure. Not the, Mm not the, not the most like, man, this is really blowing me over. Not the meatiest line. Yeah. But I, yeah. But I well, think, I think... That, but I mean, I mean, in any horror movie, you generally have things that break up the tension, right? And this one's just more of one that's, you know, turn the dial a little bit more to have more of that uh, to, to kind of break the scenes up and whatnot. Well, I think the I issue for know. me is that is that upon rewatching it and having 
sort of known the film for a long time, but rewatching it now with a lot more understanding of how films get made. It's just that the horror scenes and sequences display so much more uh, mastery of craft than the humorous scenes, which to me are just sort of, you know, that's where the limitations of the writing really seem more apparent to me. For instance, like there's a, there's a shot I really love of the close-up of a doll's face uh-huh. as a spider yes. descending. Like all my sort of, wow, this is nicely done moments <clears throat> are all kind of broken up by the comedic sequences, which in which the, 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 the quality of the writing does not match the quality of the craftsmanship um, mm-hmm. in other parts of the film. And so this is where I felt a little bit um, every time they're talking about picnics and, and all that stuff, I just wanted to get back to spiders. Yeah. Or right. even like the, the setup when they first move in and they're like, cause they try to call back to it at the end, right. When they move away from San Francisco, then they move back to San Francisco and it's like, they list all the things that are like the problems they were having, even though they didn't really sound like problems. They just sound like aspects of the city they were in. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like that's designed to be like playful banter and it's more just like, all right. I mean, you're not quite yuppies, but at the same time, it's like, I, are you just complaining about these problems? It didn't seem to like make a big difference or whatnot. Like, it's just that's a, that's a time thing, right? That has to be more of like a right. This, like, this plays bigger in the '90s than it does in 2020. Mm-hmm. I will say this though, in terms of the comedic aspects, this movie has one of my favorite cliches, which is, uh, "I love a mortician with a sandwich." <laughs> <laughs> The mortician saw, or the I medical saw, examiner I, who's so desensitized that they're just like noshing away in front of a corpse. I just watched like I think two things in a row that had that too. I think one of them was like a Friday the 13th sequel to prep for our other show that we did. It, it is a cliche, but it's I it doesn't make me like laugh out loud, but at the same time it's always like, well, <laughs> I'm not not smiling at that a little bit. It's just it's so it's such an easy thing to do. Like one guy gets sick, but the other guy's seen it all. It's a it's a very straightforward joke did you guys stay some... for the did you stay for the jimmy buffett song over the credits i so so <laughs> let me bring that up right now um on and i when we watched this with scooter he's a friend of the show we uh we did we did listen to the i remembered this as we started getting to the credits of the the time we watched it just you know a, a few hours ago where the song starts up and it's called don't bug me <laughs> And it's so silly. I, I remember I that jogged the memory that we were very much obsessed with the fact that this was happening the first time we were watching it, or you know, the time we were watching it, and how it played over the credits, and we were like, "Who is this?" And I probably like shazammed it <laughs> or something, and then we got to the end, and yeah, Jimmy Buffett's credit comes on, and you're thinking, "Well, this has to be a song that he wrote for this movie," which is amazing, um, but of course. I just assume Jimmy Buffett and Steven Spielberg are great friends because Jimmy Buffett, of course, appears as one of the main characters of Jurassic World. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I thought about looking up the lyrics and then offering to read them on the recording, but then I remembered it's stupid and I couldn't be bothered. If you want to send us a separate recording, I could put that into the uh, you know the bo- the blooper reel of the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's for where it belongs. But like, I remember because we just watched it, we're just like. Like the couple of lines, like "Don't bug me," and it's like I'm better left alone twirling or something, and it's just like, like he made this whole song for this movie. I'm like a spider. It's like don't squish me or like have a death wish or something. It's just I like I like the idea that in in 1990 they're like, well, movies have songs that go with them. They can probably get us an Academy Award nomination or something. So let who can we who's in our bag of tricks here that we can call up Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> 
Jimmy Buffett. You guys have a you have a you guys have a a song lying around, some lyrics maybe. And one of the writers right. fe- like feebly raises his hand. It's like I got a song called "Don't Bug Me," and he submits it over, and they're like, "Yes, we should we should do this, Jimmy. Get in the studio." And they make this whole song, and it was like a roaring hit. Or just never, no one ever thought of it. Right. Just of like all these scenarios. men, all these men with cigars, going like, "That's it, fuck me, <laughs> <laughs> throw it in there, kid. You're gonna go but fall." I, <laughs> I just remember that song, like laughing so much when mm-hmm. that when we watched it the first time because it's it's a silly song. It's just like I think it stuck with me too. It just it's really silly. Like if you do look up the lyrics, like it's it's something. <laughs> It all it all points back to what a studio film this is. It's such it's mm-hmm, such mm-hmm. fun, right? Because it makes me nostalgic, if nothing else, for when the PG thirteen fault lines felt more reliable to me. Uh-huh. Speaking, speaking speaking for myself, obviously, because you really get the sense that they're being so strategic and careful about when the characters can curse, and mm-hmm. it's like that risque shower scene, and, and you can tell the filmmakers are making assessments for where they want to push the PG thirteen as much as possible. Mm-hmm. The whole thing feels so carefully created by committee. Let's get a Jimmy Buffett song at the end. And it, it just feels like product. <laughs> it's designed It's designed to fall right into that market sweet zone between the PG and the R. Like maybe I didn't see it as much, but like you normally would see like product placement in these types of films too, correct? And uh, in the emblem, emblem school, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I don't, did y'all pick up on any? Because I can't remember too many or really any at all well i think because of the small town aspect you don't the small town aspect you don't get really a lot of that because there's just not like stores they're visiting or stuff like that or even, right even well, like, like yeah the cereal i can't remember what the cereal box was but, even like, the cereal box seems cereal like nondescript box. probably by choice because they probably don't like any cereal like general mills probably doesn't want to have parents think there's spiders in their cereal on accident so they you know they probably <laughs> shied away from showing any explicit like brand on the cereal um, or like the popcorn some of the wine maybe the, I mean, yeah the just, wine yeah popcorn. They, they probably would have balked at uh you're gonna do what with our wine bottles throw them at a killer spider yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's, it's like no go- it's no goonies like there's not a baby ruth like laying around this movie being constantly mentioned right which um, is very interesting though right because normally you would see that product placement heavily in, the, in an amblin film to to go into the, the the product aspect of this this film did have a video game um for commodore 64 and dos and other very antiquated video game software programs um there was also a novelization of course uh there was a <laughs> comic there was a comic adaptation uh, which is not surprising to me because i had the rocketeer comic so i know disney was making comics out of their you know studio mm-hmm. movies at that point let's see there was a soundtrack album of course uh, <laughs> so yeah i mean yeah there's certainly like all the things there i mean the difference though is that it is amblin right so the the quality tends to be higher. And I, I like to think, it, I mean, part of the movie's success is the fact that it does have, you know, a lot of talented people involved making a movie that seems to be coming out the way they generally wanted it to come out. Like, I don't feel like there's a movie here that was a troubled production or one that they really had to find in the editing room. It seems like the movie that was intended was the movie that was intended here. Oh, my God. I just realized something. Huh. If they remake this film and contemporize it, Main character is going to be a web designer. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of the webs, though, like, they're quite something. We get a lot of webs in this movie. It's a web heavy. It's a web movie. A web designer, though. (laughs) Yeah, you get a good 10% of the crowd chuckling at that. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's it's such an easy layout. (laughs) (laughs) It makes so much sense. 
But also, like, Aaron, weren't you saying, like, you were looking at some of your show notes of, like, how even the, the sound effects for the squishing of the spiders were done by the Foley artists for, like, potato chips? Yeah, they used squash potato chips and mustard packs to replicate sounds for the squished spiders uh, on on the realm of of uh, the production and the special effects and what have you. Um, what's his name? Jamie Heineman of Mythbusters. This was one mm-hmm. of the first movies that he worked on. Oh, wow. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, and uh, to to be but clear, yeah, because I like I like I like the sound effects. Like that's always a cool thing. Like fully artists like having to go out their way to figure out like whether it's you know getting an old piggy bank and smashing it for a certain sound or what mm-hmm. have you. It's just it's really neat that that's the route. Like just getting a bag of potato chips and like crunching them. For sure. I will add just real quick. No spiders were harmed during the making of this movie. That includes scenes like when John Goodman first he tries to shoot the spider with the spray doesn't work shoots it again doesn't work so he just walks up and steps mm-hmm. on it the way they mm-hmm. did that i mean it's two shots obviously as far as he steps on the spider then there's another shot of him picking up his foot and it's all green mm-hmm. juicy on uh-huh. but the way they shot the speed where he steps on the spider because it's a real spider they cut a hole into the bottom of his boot so he could just lay his foot down on top of it and the spider could curl up huh. inside <laughs> and then they you know obviously they edit so you you know you don't see you, him lifting up his you, you don't see him lifting up his stop. you don't see him lifting up his yeah. foot in the same shot but I mean, so they, so, you know, so he just stepped on it with his foot. He actually stepped on the spider. They just made it slot so he could do that practically without them having to. You know. What about the one that involves there's a book that lands on a spider and then someone steps on the book? Oh yes, it's the kids, right? When they they yeah. leave, they're doing that. It's a busy spider, and then they're like, okay, she slams the book, <laughs> the book I, on top of the spider, and then the girl steps on it. I was curious about that one too. I couldn't find anything specifically related to how they did that. If I had to guess. I'd imagine the carpet was probably like, you know, it was probably like d- hollow underneath. So you can put something down on it and the spider would kind of fall like lower or sink in or fall through a slit in the carpet or something like that. That That's the best guess I could have as far as how they would accomplish something in that way. Right. Or it's just, or it's just, interesting. Or it's just a fake spider in that shot. I'm, you know, one of those. So. <laughs> clever, clever, clever. But yeah, I would just went, say, went out like, of their way. It's it's the time it's the time period, of course, like the early '90s of like having these rotary phones and older phones. In fact, you have to dial. I'm just like sitting there watching. Like, wouldn't it be just easier if you just pick up the phone? You could just like press Aaron, or <laughs> you don't have to dial when there's like an emergency. Because yeah, wasn't not, like nowadays the one... they would just snap a photo of the spider and send it to the professor, and be like, yeah, they look like this. They wouldn't have to send it for yeah. They'd have they'd have a the web designer character that you named would have a <laughs> he, 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 he would have designed it. He would have spent the night designing his own app to identify that spider, and he would have like you would have had a scene where he's like, I ran it through the app. It says it doesn't exist, and then he calls the scientist to like let him know. <laughs> so the um, so the uh, the response to this movie well reviewed. Uh, got good reviews at the time. Uh, Ebert uh, was a fan. He gave it thumbs up and all that. Um, that was a good, solid rating. The it was, This is also the first film released by Hollywood Pictures, kind of a spinoff of Touchstone and other kind of uh, uh, Disney-connected like properties. Hollywood mm-hmm. Pictures would uh, do several more, like Jerry Bruckheimer films and, and Gross Point Blank, as a matter of fact, was a Hollywood production. Um the 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 marketing because it was a horror movie and a comedy they decided to build it as a thrillomedy. A thrillomedy. The ads actually feature the word thrillomedy. A thrillomedy. To help sell the movie. That didn't like, catch on. Yeah, we we're not exactly seeing thrillomedy <laughs> being being played up. A thrillomedy. 
Maybe if Joe Dante tried it for the Burbs the year before, that might have helped. But uh, no, Thrillomedy was not the. Uh... Anna, when I say Thrillomedy, what do you think? Thrillomedy. I don't know. <laughs> I can't. Like, nothing's coming to mind right now. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something else with this movie right now that I was just like in another world right now. Thrillomedy. It's hard to say. A Thrillomedy. It's, it doesn't roll off. It's way too hard to say. Thrillomedy. <laughs> it's like, that's not one like someone's going to be like, wow, that's a very nifty title. Let's go see what that's about. I'm surprised. Um, I'm surprised that the marketing team is so perplexed. F- f- phoning it in so much, given <laughs> how much care went into the film. That's a, ter- <laughs> yeah. that's a terrible word. Well, it's like so I said, funny. well, because you don't like for that. I think that emphasizes the fact that it's a product more than you know, like some gritty new filmmaker that made us movie about spiders for the first time. This is a movie that's from a major studio that has big Hollywood bucks behind it. They That means that the audience is going to be wider, which means they don't know how to sell it. You can sell Evil Dead 2 to, you know, the people that are going to see Evil Dead 2. How do you sell a horror, com- a movie that's both a horror movie and a comedy that's PG-13 to a family audience? Like, they got to, like, that's their idea of being creative. Thrillomedy! A thrillomedy. It's Wait, fun. So, do, do you have it in your notes? What was the tagline for the movie? The tagline is, oh, I have it right here. It's is it like it's it'll have you crawling up the walls. It's not. No, it's not. It's it's, that's, <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> I'll take my coffee black, widow. It. There's two. One is the one that's on all the posters. The other is an Amblin related one. Well, kind of. It says. The suspense of Alien, the excitement of Jaws, and the fun of Back to the Future. Oh, that's one. The yeah, that's not good. The, the 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 one that's on the poster is eight legs, two fangs, and attitude. Accurate. <laughs> it's accurate. It's accurate. It also makes it sound like the spider is like a skateboarder that's coming to their town to like right. build a skate I, park. Or I, I will fight you with my eight arms, yo. <laughs> but you're you're also not well, wrong. I mean, think of Amblin. They had goon. They had not Goonies. They had uh, Gremlins. I mean, they've had other horror comedies that have come out before. Like, I, I don't know how you have a tough time figuring out a way to kind of present that to people without using made-up words. So as you were talking about thromedy, I went off and was thinking, because y'all are more professional in this genre, of, like, you have the family. So is there always in this genre of, like, having to have that, I guess, what do you call the spider, the villain? Where that fire took like a host or like took home like its place in the new family's home, who aren't the bad guys. So is that a recurring theme of like? Well, with with Amblin films, it tends to be a, a kind of a a traditional family unit. Um, in many cases, some cases are different. Like ET is the the part of the point is that um, D Dad's Wallace in is, is divorced. Uh, yeah, the dad's mm-hmm. in Mexico. Uh, like, so, like, I mean, it's it's the Spielberg thing, right? It, where family and father-son relationships or whatever, those are all those all make up aspects of the film to some degree as, as far as presenting people that are seemingly normal, that are put into crazy situations. Poltergeist is a, you know, two parents, three kids, family. Gremlins is a small town, two parents, two kids, family. Like, there's that that is a running theme because the idea is that it's supposed to be like you or me. That's the kind of Amblin okay. touch, touch of it. Got it. Yeah, although the other the other variation you might get, which is also a cliche, but it's more in the quiet place type school, which is the reason that they move to the countryside to begin with is because they need mm-hmm. to get away due to some kind of past trauma. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. probably the, the death of a child, right? Yeah. That, and so right. they're trying to get over it. And and I mean if you really wanted to push it, their infant child died from a black widow bite, and that's why the, the, it's not just about battling the spiders, it's about some sort of right. redemption of some kind, you know. Yeah. That, that that 
that wouldn't be a surprise to see in films like this too. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So is this like a strong suit to wear, or is it more weaker that it's you have Daniel's character and it's basically just having a fear of fi- of spiders and having to eventually come over it? It's not any better or worse. It's just, a... it's just a way to kind of you give you'd give Daniel's character more to play with as far as giving him a backstory that specifically involves mm-hmm. spiders. So like the arc of the film is him getting over that fear, or at least coming up to the you know up to the jaws of that fear and staring well, like at the we face. we have a flashback of him experiencing why he had the fear. If you made it again, but instead of instead of instead of recounting, because like he just kind of like his wife makes fun right of like. Oh, you were just like two years, like you don't remember anything, like you were in your diaper or something. I think that serves two so, purposes, though. I mean, one, you get, you know, you get a good scene with Jeff Daniels to act and do all that, but also you, practical mm-hmm. reasons, it's probably very difficult to be like, let's have a scene where you show a baby with a spider crawling on it. That's probably not easy to achieve. So. No. <laughs> yeah, and if that, if that monologue, no, if yeah, that sure. monologue is is going to be successful in being creepy, I think it's better if we don't see it, right? The fact that we, yeah, go you can imagine that mm-hmm. more. I think that plays into, again, right. why spiders are generally, you know, creepy to a lot of people. The idea of something that's small like that, but seemingly deadly because of how it looks, which plays into other ideas. Um, but there's, you know, there's an inherent fear that, I mean, you could say, I mean, that's why the high concept is great. Arachnophobia, a deadly spider invades a small town. Like, that's a really, really easy, pit, easy pitch to sell, right? That's something that, and, right. it plays on, and it plays on irrational fears that people have of, small insects like that where you know you see plenty of people that just like go oh my god like because there's a spider or something even though it's you know a thousand times smaller than you are i mean, it, i'm it making happens. like even like the nursery rhyme like a little like a yeah. refrain in the movie with the kids right which of, i believe like, is like... the trailer i believe the trailer is the kids doing that if i'm not mistaken um, oh. is, is that game with the music and everything and then probably don lafay tank comes in and is like in a small town one man moved in <laughs> with his family thinking he'd have a good time only to have spiders invade and you know, whatever, but uh, a thrillomedy. That was pretty good. <laughs> it was not bad. I, I bet I have good and bad Donlon Fantine days. Uh, all right. Well, that's very Fantine. interesting because I was just curious. <laughs> that's where that's where I was like kind of drifting and thinking about when you were bringing up this different title and stuff. Yeah, so thrillomedy. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for those explanations. It all worked out to an extent because the movie I said was made on a twenty-two million dollar budget, made fifty-three million at the box office uh, total. So I mean it not a mm-hmm. you know it's not a smashing hit like breaking new barriers but as far as a creature feature goes um, a decent you know modest success and then it made an additional 30 million in home video sales it was a huge I mean Mike you talk about how you you know had the VHS rented it back in the day mm-hmm. everybody did like that was everybody had the same idea they wanted to get that video so it, this you know, does it, it feels a little cult but <laughs> it's a little cult as far as it's not the biggest movie of the year it's well liked people kind of you know know it. Uh, so, so you know, it it has its. I think it, I I don't think it's like a nostalgia classic in the same way that other movies of that era are. Like I don't know, Hook, but I do think it it, it plays as far as it. Oh yeah, arachnophobia. I saw that one as a kid. Or arachnophobia. Yeah, I saw that you know a long time ago. Like it, it has that kind of factor into it. It's not some obscure gem. It's just more like yeah, that's a movie I don't generally think about too often, but it's fine, or it's good, or it's you know, it does the job. Like I, I think it it captures all of that. Uh, which I think again is reflected in the fact that it got good reviews at the time and people went to see it and it's doing well on home video. I'm because it's I guess you don't get a lot of like Amblin direct to video sequels, so I'm not too surprised there's not like arachnophobia, arachnophobia two straight to video knockoffs or anything like that. But I am surprised that it's taken this long to consider making another arachnophobia. 
I spend spend a lot of time with younger people, obviously, because I teach at a university. And so the impression I'm under is that the current crop of 20-year-olds do not know this movie. Fair. Again, I mean, it's not Back to the Future, right? Like, it's an Amblin film, but it's not the biggest Amblin film. (laughs) No, not even, probably not even, like, sure, like, 18, 20-year-olds, like, in college, but even probably, like, some, like, early 30s now, like. At this point, yeah, I get it. Because I kid you not, I was, I was for work, I was, like, for some training, and they're like, oh, like, just throw out a movie that you would want to be in, right? And Mm -hmm. I, you know, Aaron, one of my favorites is Funny Face. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, what's that? Is it a Hallmark movie or something? And I was just like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> and they're like younger too. So it's always a curiosity, like how certain films would, you know, how far a reach they get unless they're not like in a film studies class or taking, you know, film courses. Uh, they'll n- never really come across that. Right. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the Audrey Hepburn funny face? Yes. Okay. And so it it is interesting, like, just thinking about this film, like, how many, like, like you're saying your students, like, would they really have gone out to seek this film out or, like, like, just out of curiosity? Because their parents had it or something like that. Right. I want to show it. Just sit in the back and see how they react. You should. See how that goes. Once once we're (laughs) back to normal. But, um, I mean, I do think part of the... Uh, the like the general if you were to bring this movie up again I think the fact that it's simply called arachnophobia you don't really have mm-hmm. to do much work to be like convincing someone to watch this as far as if they're going to be interested or not I feel like the title kind of mm-hmm. says it right there right yeah it's, it's like, very high concept yeah. very high concept but it's just, and it even like that's a good t- arachnophobia it's a good title it gets across the idea right away it's probably about spiders I feel mean, like it's it's, pro- it's it's probably not a mutant spider type thing it's probably about just people that are afraid of spiders like as that going forward which I think bodes well as far as however you want to continually hold this up in the future i mean we're talking about it for its 30th anniversary but i don't think the film while maybe somewhat obscure compared to other amblin films like gremlins or goonies or back to the future or what have you i do think there is there's a staying power for horror films because there always is but something like this where it's we did an episode a horror themed episode a couple years ago for um children's horror and i do think this fits in that kind of area of movies you can show pretty much anybody and have a good time with because of the kind of amped up value comedic value as well as the kind of light scare value so overall, right there's no think... yeah there's no gore so on that on that front it's still kind of a fun movie you can watch with there's with no, the family right there's no gore and your your main characters are you know a, a a decent family unit so i mean there's there's not mm-hmm. like there there you know there's a relatable element um to a extent yeah, so I uh, think you mentioned early on as a gateway horror film for mm-hmm. yeah younger people or for parents who want to initiate their kids because they love horror themselves but don't want anything too extreme. Then on that front, I think this movie still should be perfectly enjoyable. Which I think is that adds to why it had so much such a strong like video sales component and why it was on TV so much. It's a very quote unquote easy watch. <laughs> is that in that uh-huh. goes like it differs a certain kind of thing based on the genre, but it's also you know it's not hard to like sit down and just watch this because it's generally pleasant as far as watching these actors do their thing while there's spiders involved as well. Any other thoughts on arachnophobia? I know we've talked about a variety of different angles on this one, which I'm very happy with. Would you say, would you say people, would you say if people haven't seen this movie, should they go out and see it? Would I? Absolutely. Anna? Watch it with friends. Oh yeah. It's fun. Like we did, we did one night, like, again, I can't recall what we did the rest of the day, but like we just decided, like you said, 
bring friend Scooter over and it was just fun to get together and watch something. I would say find your most arachnophobic, creepy, crawly, <laughs> averse friend, sit behind them. Like and Abe. Then, yeah, like find Abe, sit behind him and then periodically just like <laughs> tap your fingers along his back during the movie. Oh yeah, that sounds good. Makes sense. <laughs> Up his neck. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've therapy. <laughs> I think we've had a good time going over arachnophobia in honor of its 30th anniversary, of course, and we'll, we'll see if we do more creature features in the future or we just run through the entire filmography of Frank Marshall at this point. It's not a whopping one. It's only four. He's got Alive, the uh, soc- the what, the what soccer team that had to... Uh-huh. Oh, we're, the we're, we're, for, we're forced to, uh, go to go to cannibalism to survive. Um, Congo, which is a creature feature. Oh, my God. He did Congo. <laughs> he did Congo, yes. I love Congo. Put down my sesame seed cake. Put down my sesame cake. And uh, Eight Below, the uh, Paul Walker Snow Dogs uh, film. Oh, no. Yeah. Huh. He's an animal guy, huh? He, he does an animal guy. Yeah. Alive especially. Uh, but um, So, yeah, his, his bench isn't that deep, so who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll be talking about Frank Marshall films in the years. Uh, alive is arguably <laughs> about the most dangerous animal of all. Yes, you're right, man. Man. Uh, but with all of that said, to wrap up here, where can people find more of your guys' work online? Anna, where can people find more of you? So you can find me on Twitter at right to recite and also at RightToRecyteWordPress.com. And that's about it. But I will just add real quick that the Newport Beach Film Festival is coming to a close. And I don't know if this episode is going to be coming up like tonight. But for you two, Aaron and Mike, if you felt like it, you could go on there and get a $25 weekend pass, which will include your choice of 10 movies. You can make your own like program to watch. And we came to an end of discussion with Frank Marshall's arachnophobia. Mm-hmm. So the closing night film for the festival is actually from acclaimed filmmaker, Frank Marshall. Really? It's a doc. It's a, yes. It's a documentary called the Bee Gees. How can you mend a broken heart? And the film chronicles the rise of, of course, the iconic group and consisting of the brothers of that said group what are so, the odds we talked about a so frank I'm, marshall film <laughs> i i know you were just doing a whole collection i was waiting for it i was like is he gonna say this but frank marshall has another film a doc coming out this year and it's gonna be dreaming or streaming i should say on hbo documentary film oh well now we the three cool. of us have to the three of us are definitely going to do all of frank marshall's films leading up to eventually the bgs how can you mend a broken heart uh, that, that just has to happen now at this point. But no, that thank you for that information. That's very fun. No, you're you're welcome. Yeah, because tomorrow is the last day, and so you can view that doc for mm-hmm. the festival. You just go on their website, or you can go on to my um, right to site WordPress, and it's on there as well. Great, Mike. Anything you want to plug? Yeah, actually, uh, you can't find me online really, but you can see me in a documentary that's coming out uh, at long last later this month. It's called Wolfman's Got Nards. Oh, the Monster Squad documentary. It's the Monster Squad documentary. Uh, It uh, took a while to get a distributor, but it did, and it's coming out on the 27th later this month. Very cool. Yes, speaking of uh, gateway horror, that's certainly a good one as well. And a good uh, exemplary cult movie, if if that's your interest as well. So I hope people check it out. Yeah, yeah, great. Good to know. Uh, You can find everything I do over at thecodazeek.com. I'm writing at League of Entertainment and Wife's of Blue and occasionally Variety. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Audio Boom, Spotify, and Stitcher, everywhere else you can find our show. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. 
Um, Mike, Anna, thank you both very much for joining me to discuss arachnophobia for this week's horror bonus. Thank you. Peace. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> oh, and I should say, it wasn't streaming. It's just going to be on HBO Documentary. Okay, great. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, that'll be streaming. I mean, that'll be... That word right? always seems like it's like flexible, I guess. I don't know. I see what you're saying, yeah. But no, yeah, good to know <laughs> about that as well. And I'll put a link in the show notes, of course. But yeah, no, thank you both for joining me to talk arachnophobia. And this has been fun. Uh, don't bug me later, but still, this has been good times. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Until next time, so long and goodbye. goodbye. You're not wrong. It happens all the time. Is that on me? Is that me with an ambulance outside? Yes, it is. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to go to the house that has the nest of spiders. Arachnophobia, a thrillometer.